you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. From LAS Studios and USC Annenberg Media, this is Imperfect Paradise, how COVID changed everything a series by USC grad students who come from all over the world. I'm Kelly McEvers. Even though the World Health Organization says COVID-19 is no longer a global emergency, people are still dealing with a lot of loss. Loss of lives, of course, and also of ways of life. So in this episode, we're talking about adapting. We will mourn the things that were lost or might soon be lost and see how those losses are forcing us to recalibrate how we do things. We'll start with reporter Grace Murray, who, the day she got her first COVID vaccine, grabbed her mom and went to what she says is the greatest record store of all time, a place that has changed, and maybe not for the better, Amoeba Records here in Los Angeles. In the early days of the pandemic, the original Amoeba closed its doors, and we were worried it would never open again. You see, a few years ago, Amoeba announced that they had sold the building to a developer, and they were scheduled to vacate the building in 2020. Sure enough, the pandemic raged on, and what was only supposed to be a temporary closure became permanent as lockdowns continued. The famous white building that was once a centerpiece of Sunset Boulevard was set to become high-rise apartments. Amoeba reopened in a new building just a half mile up the road. Well, music diehards, they can now rejoice. Amoeba Music is coming back after a year-long hiatus due to the pandemic. The music retailer will reopen. At they assured their massive fan base that the store would be just as good, if not better than the old store. Here's Tyler, the creator, touring the new building. Where are we? At the new location <laughs> for Amoeba Hollywood. At the corner of Hollywood Boulevard. Devastation of knowing I'd never have the chance to say goodbye to the record store I had grown up going to was heartbreaking. But on April 9th, 2021, I was hopeful. Maybe, just maybe, this new Amoeba would be just as wonderful. I remember going to get to get there. We were almost almost there, and we see this huge line wrapped around the building. And we're like, what is that? It was the line to get in because they were only allowed to have so many people per square footage in a place. And so there was literally a line wrapped around the building. That's my mom, Michelle Murray. It was just a few days after the new building's grand opening, and the line was constant from morning to sundown as music lovers flocked to see the new space and stock up on records. What I liked was the camaraderie outside in the line with all the people waiting to get in, talking about music, experiencing, talking about the old place and how sad it was they didn't get to see it one last time and all the different things. So, um, it actually ended up being almost more fun outside than it was inside. My mom has actually always been somewhat of a music expert. As a teenager, she spent her weekends working as a dancer on the hit TV show American Bandstand, where she had the chance to watch all of the big 80s musicians perform. Where do you think that picture was taken? Um, 52nd Street, New York. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you told me! 
It's 58th Street. 52nd, 58, same difference. That's my mom talking to Dick Clark. Now, in all honesty, if I hadn't told you, would you think that was an American picture? No, it doesn't look like when she wasn't tied up filming with Dick Clark over the weekends. She was at any concert she could get tickets to around town. Her biggest bragging right has always been the long list of icons she's had the chance to see live. The Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, David Bowie, three of the four Beatles, Michael Jackson, Queen, the Go-Go's, Tim McGraw, Madonna, the Beach Boys, Ray Charles, and many, many more. For a long time, Amoeba has been one of the few physical spaces where we can both engage with our love of music and meet other people who love to talk about music just as much as we do. The Isles of Amoeba have served as our classroom as my mom and I discuss different music, picking apart our favorite songs as we decided which albums to go home with. Even eight years later, I can shut my eyes and transport back in time to that first visit in the summer of 2014. I remember you like dashing, going, oh, this way, oh, look over here, oh, what's that, oh, look it up there, look, 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 look. I just remember each little piece and it was so fun and so amazing. It just, I loved every minute of it because I know how much it meant to me to see you like that. At Amoeba, Grace and her mom meet people who are as excited as they are that the store has reopened, but sad that it's not the same as it was. But still, Grace and her mom keep going back. If you could pick one record that summarizes our relationship, what would you pick? Oh my gosh, seriously? That's so hard. (laughs) Oh, I mean, a, a definite Elton. That's, you know... That's been part of our, what what, what do you want to call it? Our wallpaper of our music life would be Elton and, yes, love that, love it. As my mom and I push our way through the aisles of a packed amoeba, we make pit stops at the bins of our favorite artists, laughing about obscure finds and some overpriced pieces. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that poster's $500. No, shut up, where? Right there. Today, the Elton John bin stands out quite a bit. We flip through the records and we find a couple of treasures, including a copy of his 1971 album, Madman Across the Water. What's your favorite Elton album? Tumbleweed Connection is one of the faves. That's what we're getting. Uh, Do you want to get that one? That one, yeah. uh, Later that evening, I pulled out my record player and brought it into my parents' living room to plug into a speaker. My mom peeled the plastic wrapping off of our Elton record and handed it to me to put on. The record finally reached our favorite song, Tiny Dancer. When I was six years old, my mom got me a hot pink iPod shuffle. She got the phrase rock on engraved on the back. And Tiny Dancer was the first song she downloaded for me. I can still remember the moment I heard it for the first time. I credit it as being the moment I became aware of my love of music. With the music still playing in my headphones, I remember bursting into my mom's room unannounced to proclaim at the top of my lungs, I like this Blue Jean Baby song. From then on, it became the song I put on every playlist and played on all of our road trips. Do you realize we've listened to this song in so many different countries, in different states, different cities, different everywhere? Yeah. (laughs) For the entire six minutes and 17 seconds, we keep singing. Out in the streets Handing tickets out for gold, turning back. The new Amoeba Records is not the Amoeba I once knew. And I'm so disappointed. But for as long as Amoeba stays open, I'll still have the records, the connection with my mom, and most importantly, the music. We'll be right back. 
Okay, we're back. And one group of people who knew things would never be the same once the pandemic hit was athletes. Some sports leagues played in bubbles, others just suspended seasons altogether. Austin Stanovich met a pro hockey player named Cameron Gauntz. He was playing for the minor league of hockey, the AHL. He was on his way to a dream spot in the NHL with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But then all of that changed. Monday morning, the American Hockey League Board of Governors voted to officially cancel the season, with the president saying the season is not feasible in light of current conditions. I was a bit naive thinking everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out. This global issue can't come to my doorstep. But COVID did come to Cameron's doorstep. His league was suspended. And he had to go back home to Toronto. My job, something that I've basically put my career, my life towards, is something that's deemed unnecessary. And that was hard because it was something that everyone wants to feel relevant, feel significant. There was still a chance that Cameron could end up playing for Tampa Bay. So he kept practicing every day back at home in Toronto. Then the NHL announced they would hold their playoffs in a bubble. Though I was getting prepared, they contacted me and said, uh, we appreciate you getting ready, but you're not going to be coming to this. Um, Now I was essentially waiting for the next season to start. Uh, I've been someone that's aware at any point my career could be over. Like uh, not only could injuries happen, but uh, I could be, I've been someone who's always been filled with imposter syndrome. Like I just always think, well, someone's going to think I'm not good enough or someone's going to realize this is just a game. So Cameron started to really prepare for what could be next. He kept working on his degree in math and science and thinking about his relatives who work in insurance. So I've always, I do have kind of fallback plans, if you will. It's just there's a difference between theoretical and then actual application. So the fact that this almost came to a point where I need to potentially apply these things I've only been thinking about was a very scary notion. Then, in December 2020, Just before pro hockey training camps began, an AHL team, the Ontario Reign, called and offered him a contract. And even though it was in California, a long way from home, Cameron went for it. This is something I've worked for my whole life. This is a dream, and I want to continue to play. After nine months of uncertainty, doubt, and anxiety, Cameron signed with the Reign and was able to continue living out his dream. For so many people, COVID isn't really over, especially for people with other serious illnesses. Their lives will never really be the same as they were before. Nigerian journalist Ilya Kure has the story of his niece, Bethel. We call it crisis. When sickle cell patients are in pain, the pain actually affects the bones. So when you feel that pain, sometimes it's difficult for a sickle cell patient to even describe the kind of pain that what it feels like. This is my niece, Bethel, trying to explain her worst moments with the genetic condition, sickle cell anemia. Bethel was born with sickle cell anemia for 20 years ago in Nigeria. And since the COVID pandemic, her lifestyle has changed. I have known my niece for her whole life. And now I want to tell you what she goes through with this disease. COVID has affected everyone, but for me especially, uh, living with sickle cell anemia, 
Um, I had to make a lot of changes. Um, I had to start wearing masks everywhere I go. And Bethel also has to be really careful where she works, her aunt's hair braiding salon. So since, um, because a lot of people come there to get their hair done, everyone had to start wearing the masks so that I don't get sick. In people with sickle cell anemia, the red blood cells die early, leaving them with low oxygen and pains. They also experience more infections and fatigue compared to people with normal red blood cells. At the salon, Bethel now works in a small room by herself. And often, it's hard for her not to think about sickle cell. Because as a sickle cell patient, if I get COVID, I have a high risk and a lot of complications that can happen um, in my case. And uh, even at home too, if I wear the mask inside the, um, the house so that I don't get sick um, from any cough or flu with anyone that is living um, in the house with me. Even with all of these precautions, Bethel still came down with COVID-19. For many vaccinated people, it may be like getting a bad cold, but not for Bethel. I didn't know I had COVID. What happened was I had a sickle cell crisis. I started having the pain. Recently, Bethel has been experiencing sickle cell crisis again. Since December, she has been in and out of the hospital. And we got to the hospital. My, we got a wheelchair. I went into the ER. Once they gave me the IV medication, the pain started getting better. The following day, I started having more pain. Um, my hands started aching. My whole body started aching again. At home, we prayed about her pain. And I reached her by phone in her hospital room. It's much better. Uh, just once when... Um, when I have less, when I'm taking less pain medication, then they know I can go home. Then the pain is less, I can manage it at home. But for now, I thought I'll go home today, but no, okay, because I'm taking, I'm still needing more medication, especially at night. She did sound better, but her legs had swollen and were painful. The hospital would not discharge her until she was off the pain medication. As her uncle, I felt uncomfortable when she said that. Bethel spent two weeks in the hospital. And finally, she's back at home. She could now play with her two-year-old niece, Gianna, using alphabet learning toys as I watched on. Bethel had many dreams, but sickle cell anemia has truncated some. Actually, I've always wanted to be a doctor because I think I understand a little bit of uh, what uh, others are going through. But I, I graduated, but I've not been able to continue uh, with my um, residency. Uh, because of uh, being sick. And I've also been wanting to like volunteer, you know, with people like um, Doctors Without Borders, you know, and give back as much as I can. But that has not been possible. 
So um, right now I just try to volunteer a little um, close by and try to see what I can do. Bethel has a strong will and is determined to achieve her set goals. So far, she has not achieved her goal of becoming a medical doctor, but is not deterred by sickle cell anemia to set high goals in her life. I remember Bethel back home in Nigeria when she was much younger. None of us understood the difficulties she would have to endure, and none of us knew how she would confront her disease with strength, compassion, and humanity. An example to all of us. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. COVID, of course, totally changed the way we work. People who could afford to stayed away from the office, and some even moved to new cities. Eugenio Tamez has this story about what this digital nomadism is doing to his hometown, Mexico City. Somewhere between chaos and excitement. Somewhere between hostility and warmth. Somewhere between recklessness and passion. There stands Mexico City. The place I call home. The place I hate and love. For me, there's no city quite like mine. But things are changing rapidly. In a few months, when I return, that city might not be the same one I left. The city I grew up in will probably never be the same. Eight months ago, I moved to Los Angeles for school. Since I left Mexico City, I keep hearing how much it is changing. With the pandemic, digital nomads came from all over the world, especially from the other countries of North America. My fear is that while being away, my hometown might become foreign to me. Before the pandemic, you used to see one foreigner for every 10 Mexicans. Now, after the pandemic, you see seven foreigners for every 10 Mexicans. So it was a very evident change during two years of pandemic. It's just most of my neighborhood is really full of people who come from mainly the United States, maybe from Europe. I hear people speaking English all the time, sometimes German. And so it's, it's kind of changed the character of the neighborhood. I was commenting to a friend the other day. I walk out with my dogs and sometimes I, I'm just listening to the conversations on Amsterdam and it takes me like five or six people to hear s people speaking Spanish. You know, it's, all, it's a lot of English because I think the majority of the digital nomads are coming from the U.S., but you also hear Russian, you hear French, you know. It's sometimes frustrating or disappointing. You walk out and you don't really hear Spanish anymore. It's full of gringos. Maria Gala has lived her whole life in Mexico City. And as many young adults do, she decided to move away from her parents a few years ago. She, together with her girlfriend, took advantage of the decreasing rent prices when the pandemic started. We found an apartment in the Juarez neighborhood at an affordable price. The next year, in 2021, the price increased proportionally to inflation. 
But a year later, the homeowner told us that he now had other interests. Maria was kicked out of her place without truly much explanation. He didn't really tell us why. We did some research and found out that he was going to lease their apartment on Airbnb. And we saw it there, with a monthly rent price of 38,000 pesos, which means an increase of more than 200%. That means, from charging around $600 a month, the homeowner was now asking for little less than 2,000. And many other homeowners have done the same. They increase the price of rent, knowing that people earning in dollars are willing to pay. The local government has never said, as a local government, we recognize this public problem to be urgent. Because this is a space that people inhabit every day, right? I think it would be catastrophic if nothing is done, which is what's happening. In a couple of months, when I return to Mexico City, the most important things I left will still be there, waiting for me. My home, my family, my friends. Perhaps only in a different setting. At the end of the day, I'm in a privileged position myself, coming back after studying abroad with a home owned by my mom to which I can return to without much worry. Many, sadly, cannot say the same thing. And even if they own a place in the central neighborhoods of the city, the overall standard of living will continue to rise and, ultimately, push them away from home. Imperfect Paradise, How COVID Changed Everything, was written and produced by Megan Donis and me. It featured work by Grace Murray, Austin Stanovich, Ilya Kure, and Eugenio Tames. Story editing by Sandy Toland. This episode was edited by Sophia Palisa Carr. Mixing, sound design, and editing by Rebecca Katz. Engineering by Donald Paz. Imperfect Paradise, How COVID Changed Everything is a production of LAist Studios in collaboration with USC Annenberg Media. If you like this show and want to support LAist Studios, you can donate at LAist.com slash join. Shayna Naomi Krokmal is the vice president of podcasts, and Antonia Sarahido is the executive producer for LAist Studios. Catherine Mailhouse is the director of content development. The website LAist.com is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at LAist Studios. The marketing team created the branding. Thanks to the rest of the team, including Jens Campbell, Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, and Leo G. This podcast is supported by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. LAS Studios operates within the homeland of the Gabrieleño Tongva people. We recognize the painful history of displacement, settler colonialism, and erasure of the people, their language, and their sovereignty. Visit LAS.com slash land for more information, and we encourage you to get curious about the land on which you live and work. Next time on Imperfect Paradise, How COVID Changed Everything, the change has happened. Now what? And know that even if you might be scared, you're not alone. You don't have to fight this all by yourself. Your fear ain't too heavy to fix. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events.